Welcome to the Pope on Film. I am Bunny Williams, and with me is... I am the Pope in question. My name is Reverend Steve. I am the founder of the Church of Ed Wood, which is an actual thing worth a Google. This is episode 265 of the podcast, and I'm feeling feeling refreshed, a little bit high, ready to rock. (laughs) Bunny! Yes! Do you know who Sandy Newton is, perchance, Bunny? No, No, but are you sure that's her name? Yes, Sandy Newton. She's a celebrated actress. Maybe the H is silent or something, but she's most well-known for playing Gamora in the MCU. And I heard an interesting story about her in the press this week, and it brought a smile to my face, and I just wanted to touch on it just a little bit here in the beginning of the podcast. So um, she has for decades, she, she's had an acting career in Hollywood for decades, uh, ups and downs and left and right. And like all minorities, Stanley Newton has gone through a bunch of racist shit, but she's being proactive about it. She has for decades now kept a secret book of all the racist shit she's ever had to deal with in Hollywood and plans to publish it after her death so she doesn't have to deal with fallout and aftermath. Okay. And I love that. Detailed records of every single bit of racism she's experienced in her over 30 years in Hollywood. And that's some goddamn dedication right there is what that is. Yeah. You know? So what would the Black Lives Matter movement? Uh, Andy Newton has been slowly here and there leaking passages from her secret big book of racism. Like a recent story she told Vulture.com of her auditioning for the movie Charlie's Angels and producer Amy Pascal wanting her to, quote, act more black. So I'm just saying new trend. Every minority should have their own big book of racism. (laughs) Yes. You know, I I, I can't help it. It just sounds funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a great idea of just like. I'm dying, but before I do, bitches, April 1st, you know, yeah. that's, that's, damn, that's good flex. Okay, good it on- needs, it needs to be illustrated, and I know oh, exactly, I don't know who, what his name is, okay, but the guy who used to do all the artwork for good times, I, I want his yeah. illustrations in the big book of racism. That would be good. That would be good for the big book of racism, yeah. Yeah, he used to do like all those stretched out characters. Yeah, yeah, those weird ones in the beginning and yeah. stuff, like open credits and the closing credits and stuff. Well, in the show, JJ, Jimmy Walker, Dynamite, um, yeah. he was the artist on the show, so they would, they, it was not only like in the beginning and the end credits, it would be sprinkled throughout the series as well. Because yeah. whenever JJ did a painting, this guy uh, did the painting. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And I even yeah, think he did be... a Black Jesus. Like, I think Good Times did Black Jesus like way, way years ago. Yeah. That would be a good idea. Okay. So, check on Sorry. that. We've got. <laughs> We've got an illustrator for the big book of race for uh, Sandy Newton's big book of racism. So that's good. That's good. Bunny! Yes. 
I want to take a minute to talk about the box office smash hit of 2020, Unsubscribed. Yes. The box office smash that no one has heard of. So this is a, a, a story of good old-fashioned American ingenuity. And I think you'll really dig the story. So a group of filmmakers and YouTubers that I've never heard of filmed a horror movie over Zoom. Okay. It was a Zoom horror movie. It took one day to write the script, four days to film it entirely on Zoom, and it took a little over three weeks to edit it. So from idea to completion, it took about a month to make. So the filmmakers were going to release it as a video on demand, and then they said, you know what? I've got an idea just so crazy that it might work. The filmmakers saw the pandemic as an opportunity to do something special with their movie, and here's what they did. They rented out a movie theater to screen the film. Okay. And sold every ticket in the theater to themselves. Okay. Essentially, an empty theater except for the two uh, filmmakers. But because theaters are closed, that was enough to put their film unsubscribed. Oh. No office. Oh, so now fucking hats off, gentlemen. So hats now they're, off. Their cheap zero budget film, they can now list on Amazon or on Google Store or uh, Voodoo or whatever you want to call it as number one hit box office film. I appreciate the moxie. I I really appreciate when somebody, like, all they did was just get it over on the system. I mean, they didn't fucking make the rules. They didn't break any rules. They did absolutely nothing wrong. Good. Good on you, gentlemen. Just yesterday, I heard that the number one uh, movie in the box office this week was The Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Yeah, it was having an anniversary, so they showed it in, what, a couple hundred movie theaters and drive-ins that were still open, and it made $500,000, which was enough to put it at number one, so number one at the box office this week, The Empire Strikes Back, and we're living in 2020. Everything's weird. Yes. Everything is weird. Yes, it is. It's... Let me click over real quick for something special. There it is. Bonnie! Yes. It's time for some super special unscripted fun featuring essayist Chuck Klosterman. And I'm sneaking this on you, Bunny, but I really think that this can be fun. So for those of you who are listening who might not be in the know... Chuck Klosterman is an author and essayist who has published 11 books, including a really decent spin on the Invisible Man motif that I really liked. He mostly writes essays. He's written two works of fiction, one called The Invisible Man, and I really liked it. It's an invisible man going to a, to see a therapist and yeah. the entire the entire book is from the therapist's point of view of interviewing this invisible man that can do whatever he wants. 
And it, and I always thought like, hey, this, you know, no one's doing anything with the Invisible Man now. This could be a good Invisible Man movie. Damn it, Elizabeth Moss. Now we'll never see Chuck Klosterman's Invisible Man. Fuck. So, <laughs> disappointed by that. But he wrote a series of, of um, essay books, uh, the most popular of which was his first one, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, that has slowly become one of those books every college kid owns along with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and On the Road, yeah. you know? Like those books that they have to write. And in that legendary book, Chuck Klosterman has a has a chapter entitled... 23 questions I ask everybody I meet in order to decide if I can really love them. Okay. And um, these questions are in the book, but if you if you look, if you just Google Chuck Klosterman 23 questions, the questions are all over the internet. So I thought, why don't we go through a few of Chuck Klosterman's 23 questions right here on the show? Okay. And- fun uh he he, he's he's really good at writing uh questions and and i really like them so so here's the first question okay bunny okay hit me just to be clear all of these questions are really long okay let us assume you met a rudimentary magician let us assume he can do five simple tricks he can pull a rabbit out of a hat He can make a coin disappear. He can turn the ace of spades into the Joker card and two other magic tricks in a similar vein. They are his only tricks and he can't learn any more. He can only do these five. Okay. However, it turns out he's doing these five tricks with real magic. It is not an illusion. He can actually conjure the bunny out of the ether and he can move the coin through space. He's legitimately magical, but extremely limited in scope and influence. Here's the question. Would this person be more impressive than Albert Einstein? Think, 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 think. Uh, I, I gotta go no. I am going to say yes, and I'll tell you why. I always felt, I always felt that Albert Einstein was like, uh, he was a genius, but also I, I feel that a lot of what we know about Albert Einstein now is just... Look at me, silly, crazy scientist with crazy hair and strange accent. Buy my action figures. Please subscribe uh, to my channel and check out my merch page. Yeah. Like, I feel that's not his fault. (laughs) I I know, but I feel that like a lot of a lot of Albert Einstein was just presentation and just pizzazz. Yeah. You know, like this guy can actually do magic. It sucks, but he can actually do magic. I'd be more impressed with that than Albert Einstein. Also, what's what's the wheelchair guy? Stephen Hawking. Futurama. Yeah. When he came along, wasn't like one of the first things he did was say, uh, I am Stephen Hawking. Let me explain to you how everything Einstein did was wrong. No, not at all. 
No, not at all. I don't know. I'm just not an Einstein fan, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Why do you hate science? Huh? I just, I, Why do I just, you hate science? <laughs> I just believe in one thing. I believe in the Bible. Everyone should know that. <laughs> I have got a really good shaft this week yeah. that I'm very excited about. I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, uh, okay, so let's... And uh, I haven't okay. looked her up. I've, I, I've kept myself pure for the shaft. Um, I, I went a completely different direction. I'm, I'm doing something completely different than what I said I was going to do next week. Oh. And I, think I think you'll really, really like it. So here's the second question you for mean, you. Wait, 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 wait a second. You mean that could have been spanking off this whole week? Yes. But no. You absolutely could have, yes. Oh. But I'm doing something completely different. It's a topic we have discussed before. But I've got a really great angle and and uh, really going to like it. Really okay. going to like it. Here's another question for you. Another one of Chuck, Chuck Klosterman's 23 questions. Let us assume there are two boxes on a table. In one box, there is a relatively normal turtle. In the other box, Adolf Hitler's skull. Is what? Adolf Hitler's skull. Okay. You have to select one of these items for your home. If you select the turtle, you can't give it away, and you have to keep it alive for two years. If either of these parameters are not met, you will be fined $999 by the state. Okay. <laughs> If you select Hitler's skull, you are required to display it in a semi-prominent location in your living room for the same amount of time, although you will be paid a stipend of $120 per month for doing so. Display of the skull must be apolitical. Which option do you select? This is a tough one. Display of the skull must be non-political. It's Hitler's fucking skull. Like, that's not possible. It's got to be apolitical, Bunny. I, 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 st I still think I'm going with the skull. I don't think I have the responsibility for the turtle. I feel like I could do the turtle, especially because I have kids, and they will do most of the grunt work. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's it's Hitler's skull. Like, there's got to be a market for that. Yeah. I would I would go pay see, to see Hitler's skull. What about you? I I I I would do the skull. I would do the skull. It would be it would be upsetting, but I would do the skull. I, you know what? Either or. Because like the kids would really like a turtle, but also, uh, you know, like a hundred something a month, you know, yeah. that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the the whole display thing is just weird to me. Because like, how how can you? What am I just going to make a, a a display out of like violets? I I don't fucking know. I mean. It's not a Hitler display if you don't get more swastikas and shit in it. Yep. 
you know? Yeah. So I think I would just have it on a fucking shelf up against a white goddamn wall. That would meet their criteria. For the rest yeah. of it, I could put it on a big sign. I am getting paid this much to be displaying Hitler's skull and stake that out on the front lawn. Also, like, it has to be displayed prominently in your house, but, and the display must be apolitical, but doesn't that mean I can put Hitler's skull just in a window? I don't have to put yeah. a big neon sign that says, hey, I own Adolf Hitler's fucking skull, you know? I just got to put it somewhere. I don't know. I'll put it by the window. It'd be creepy fun, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think... Okay. I've got one more question that we're going to go through, okay? Okay. This is one of my favorite questions of his. Okay? Kids, 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 stop fighting. Middle of the podcast. Okay. Okay. So here's the question. You meet your soulmate. However, there is a catch. Every three years, someone will break both of your soulmate's collarbones with a crescent wrench. <laughs> okay. Now. That's, that's, that's pretty precise. <laughs> yes. It, it, it hasn't gotten too precise yet. Okay? Okay. There is only one way you can stop your soulmate's uh, collarbones being broken with a crescent wrench. There's only one way you can stop this from happening. You must swallow a pill <laughs> that will make every song you hear for the rest of your life sound like it is being performed by the band Alice in Chains. <laughs> When you hear Credence Clearwater Revival on the radio, it will sound only to your ears like it is being played by Alice in Chains. If you go to see Radiohead perform live, every one of their tunes will sound like it is being covered by Alice in Chains. When you hear a commercial jingle on television, it will sound like Alice in Chains. If you sing to yourself in the shower, your voice will sound like deceased Alice in Chains vocalist Lane Staley performing acapella i fucking got only, this but it will only sound this way to you do you swallow that pill god to save my girlfriend from having her collarbones broken with a crescent wrench yes i would i would swallow the allison chain pill now look First off, I am way less musical than you are. Music does not play a huge part in my life. Okay, so that's like point number one. Point number yeah. two, I've successfully managed to ignore Alice in Chains when they were fucking popular on the radio and shit. I can yeah. ignore them. That's a good point. I've, I've already done this. <laughs> yeah. I have gone through the Alice in Chains era of our society, I, I must have heard them on the radio a million fucking times. Don't know a song by them. Don't know a single one by them. I would take that pill. I, my, my body is naturally geared toward rejecting Alice in Chains. I would take the pill, but not to save my soulmate. I just think that would be neat. <laughs> you know, I want to hear, I want to hear 
Alice in Chains do the Beatles. Like I would, I would, I would search out. I would search out music and be like, you know what? I would never do this before, but fuck it. I'm going to listen to a shit ton of the Wiggles. <laughs> Go buy me some Rafi albums, you know, Rafi. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm really going to experiment with this. Cheech Marin did a kid's album. <laughs> I have the opportunity to hear deceased singer Lane Staley perform My Name is Cheech and I Am a School Bus Driver. <laughs> this might be like a blessing in disguise, you know? That's what I would do. I I want to go see Alice in Chains presents Cats. Okay. That would be awesome. That is interesting. Yeah. That is. I see it as a blessing. You know? Damn. I want to see Hamilton again. <laughs> but this time I'll be watching a weird uh, alternative 90s version of Hamilton while my uh, wife successfully has both her collarbones in one piece. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so that was fun. That was three of the 23 questions, and there's a lot more questions. So I thought, you know, if there's ever a week and and, and, and uh, we just want to have fun, we can do some more questions. Yes, we can. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. There's a lot more questions. So a uh, bunch of fun. Buddy! Yes. We still have a, a, a full show to do. We need to discuss... Um, Rapper T.I. We need to discuss the movie Moving Violations. Okay. We need to discuss uh, the coronavirus. Fire Sign Theater? Really? That's a, it, it, like I, when, when I learned that this week's movie was based on a play that was written by Fire Sign Theater, I got all uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Fire Sign Theater. <laughs> now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. Yes. A long time. Yes. It's like, Jesus Christ, dude. And I have a theory about George Carlin that I want to get to. But yeah, before we get because I totally that, missed him. Huh? I totally missed George Carlin. I saw his name in the credits. Oh, let's just fucking save it. He he was the narrator, and it was weird because because he was the narrator who was also the voice of that guy from Animal House, and yeah. it's like George Carlin's voice is not that guy from Animal House, so it's really weird. Yeah, that George Carlin is saying that's me. No, it's not you. <laughs> Why didn't George Carlin play the person if he's already the narrator? It just makes no sense, but whatever. <coughs> but before we get to any of that, maybe we should take a break. Should we take a break? We should take a break. Okay, I concur. We will be right back with more of the Pope on film after this. Do 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 and break. When Bob stands before God, Bob's life. <laughs> 
Godzilla to fight our Monster Zero. Earth answered, and the most dreaded creatures ever to walk our planet are lifted into outer space. The stage is set for the mightiest battle ever seen by the universe in Monster Zero. Yes. Are you ready for another exciting installment of Bunny versus America's favorite podcast segment? Are you pumped? Are you amped? Are you jazzed? Are you psyched? Are you primed? Are you revved up? Are you ready and raring to go to take that hill to be victorious to save the day? Are you ready, Bunny? Yeah, what the hell? What the hell? Well, then, without any further ado... It is time once again for Bunny Versus, and now here is your host, Bunny Williams. Take it away, Bunny. It's it's just hard to even keep track of the number of insane things that happen in a single week anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything is crazy. Yeah, we're we're picking up speed. So and and nothing really to report here. Um, I'm doing good at the doctor. So. Good, good. And like that's the only thing I've done in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I've been trying. I've been at the beginning of this week. I was just racked with depression. Yeah, like, like I could barely do anything. I could barely move. I was just feeling like shit, like absolute shit. And I decided to combat my depression and my loneliness with to-do lists. Okay. So I wake up and I go, these are all of the things that I must get done today. And even like little things, teaching Max to tie shoes, make lunch, feed lunch to kids. Go for a walk with children. And then Natasha will call. It's like, hey, I left the lettuce out. Put the lettuce in the fridge. Sure. Let me write it down. Lettuce in fridge. And so I've just, this has helped me feel better about my day. And now it'll be like, oh, man, it's already seven o'clock. I need to make dinner. What did I do today? Wait a second. I wrote more of the podcast, recorded a video, edited it, uploaded it, went for a walk with the kids, watched a movie with the kids, made meatballs. Like, like it's helping me to stay busy. Yeah. And it, it's been doing a pretty good job of helping me with uh, depression and loneliness. And I, I, I feel more positive. You know, I'm getting things done and I'm happy about that. Yeah. So that has really helped me. But let me tell you, let me tell you what's been difficult for me, Bunny. A few days ago, 
the public school district that the kids go to released their plans for the upcoming school year. So, don't do there it. Are, don't there, do there it. are three plans. There are three plans. Plan number one is. Uh, send them to school. I'm sure everything will be fine. And hey, we will go to distance learning if there's a flare up. Uh-huh. Or number two, we we have the option of distance learning. We'll give you a tablet. We'll give you internet, and you can do it all yourself at home. Doesn't that sound great? Doing all of school yourself at home. And then there's a third option, which is a combination of of option one and option two. Some going to school and learning and also some doing it at home. And that's available only to high schoolers. Hmm. So I'm left with option one or option two. Do it all myself or just send them to school and fingers crossed. And that's fine for Bella because that works for Bella. Like she'll want to do French class at school, but there are some that she can just do at home and it'll be difficult to get her to work at home. But she'll do it if she knows she has to do it. She'll do it and good. But like what do I do with Maxwell? Maybe I can teach Maxwell at home if I need to. I We did pretty good uh, for March and April and May, and it got kind of fun, but it, it might be difficult, but I think I can do it. But what about Eleanor? She's going supposed to be going into goddamn preschool. Yeah. And the whole part of preschool is, hey, meet other kids. Uh-huh. And it's like we can't we can't do preschool at home, and I can't teach her and him at the same time without them just Lord of the Fliesing each other. Yeah. So uh, not a great position to be in. Yeah, but you gotta keep them home. You can't you can't send your kids off on the trail of fucking tears. No, which is what this is gonna be. This is so horrible of a position. And it's just, this is every parent right now is going through this shit. Like, like this is fucking horrible. Yeah. You know, and then you see these governors on the news and they're like, Hey, if you can go to Walmart, if you can go to home Depot, then your kids can go to school. And it's like, we're not going to home Depot five days a week for fucking eight hours. No, we're not eating at the Home Depot. You fucking waking up and immediately spending all of our day at the goddamn Home Depot. And we wouldn't be going to fucking Home Depot to begin with if you didn't tell us we fucking could. Because before that, yeah. we would, the only reason we would go to Home Depot was if we had a fucking pipe break on us. Yeah. Our toilet so, cracked. Or something that we just goddamn need. Yeah. This is just the worst fucking decision for a parent to go through. And every parent in America is being forced to go through this shit right now. And it's fucking bullshit. They can't even contain lice. No. How the hell are they supposed to contain a deadly fucking disease? And they could certainly hold classes over Zoom just like this. There are things that they could do. But the point is, we're expendable. We are all fucking expendable. 
Trump thinks this Trump thinks this will make him look good and make people think the pandemic is over, which is fucking yeah. ridiculous, and we all goddamn know it. But you have a bunch of sycophants shaking their head and say, Yes, boss, yes, boss, let's do that. Yes, I'm, you know. Yeah. So first yeah. we were willing to throw grandma and grandpa on the fire. And now we're just going to start throwing all of our kids on the fire. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. This yeah. is not even close to a sane idea. Yeah. It's fucking horrible. It is fucking horrible. Yeah. I did a video. I did a video. I had an idea for a YouTube video and I sat on it for a while because like, oh, this is kind of weird and I don't know if I'm going to do it. I don't know if kids will like it, but uh, on sat on Friday, was it Friday or Saturday? It was Saturday. I did the, the live story time that I do for, for the nonprofit. And then I filmed four more story times just in a rapid succession. And uh, one of them was this weird taste test where a few days before Maxwell said, oh, man, Nutella is really good. It works on anything. And I said, I am going to prove this. <laughs> so I did this weird 10 minute video and I, I, I think I was like, uh, I, I was just manic, you know, and yeah. it was just this. It was just this idea of like life is short. We need to embrace life to the fullest, take chances, be bold. I'm going to be eating Nutella and sliced cheese. Okay. It's like, hey, you know, who knows how much time we have left on this planet? Let's just take risks and be bold. I will be eating spaghetti, meatballs, and Nutella. And I just did it, and it was it, 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 the surprising thing is, and I might do this again because it was so damn good. Orange slices and Nutella, fucking great. Yeah, so good. <laughs> that blew. Me away. But then finally, like I was wrapping up the, I was wrapping up the the video, and I just noticed that right behind my computer is a box of milk bones. Oh, and I'm just staring at it for the longest time. And I'm like, eh, eh. and I pick up the box and I put it in front of me and I'm like, I don't know if I should do this. And then this is what made me do it. I was like, I don't think I should do this. And then Bella said, why don't you do it as a Patreon exclusive? Oh, so proud of Bella. I was like, oh, God damn. Bella, oh, <laughs> work a work a beauty. So, so uh, I was kind of hoping that that you were going to do it here. So, no. So, so what I did was what I'm going to do when I edit that story time. It, that's going up tomorrow. So when I edit it, I'm about to do it, and then I'm going to scene missing it, like in in a grindhouse movie. Yeah, yeah, like in a Real like missing. in grindhouse. You know, real missing. Yeah. So, and then the Patreons will get the whole thing. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm really happy about that. Yeah. So, so, so that's all I got. Uh, things are still horrible. 
and and I have a, a hideous decision to make. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. What what do you want to tell Bunny, Eleanor? Come here. Okay, Bunny. Yes. Dad got matching me two prizes. Surprises. Yeah, and Dad got me a prize that there's a book, and it's called Dot D Dot. But I did Dot D Dot. Yes. Can you see it? I went. I went to the store and I was getting some food, and I noticed that they had the these these uh, invisible ink books. Maxwell, bring that over here. That I used to. That my parents would get me whenever we went on a road trip. Yeah. They would always have it at like the Stuckies or whatever was on the highway. So I got this invisible ink one for Eleanor. And then I got the exact ones that I used to get when I was a kid from Maxwell. And it's got yeah. like Hand and Fleet. I always played that. And trivia and riddles and stuff. So, so the kids have been having fun with that. Go for it. And it's a real blast from the past because my parents would just get me one of those like on the side of the road and, and you know, we'd drive from Phoenix to San Francisco and I wouldn't care because I would just be playing tic-tac-toe with myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all I've got. I, I don't have anything else. Uh... Well, I think I mentioned that I that I had seen the Hateful Eight finally. And yeah, like it. I had mentioned that, right? Yeah. Bunny. Yes. Color in. Well, you need to get on the the star. Yes, you need to start at the star. That's yes. number one, and then you then, follow the numbers. Yes, and then you can color it in. And then you can color it in. Yeah, that's how you do dot d dot. <laughs> That's how you do dot d dot, yeah. Yeah, and this is so much fun. Yeah, uh, it, it, Hateful Eight isn't the best movie. The thing that pissed me off is that they made a big deal when the Hateful Eight was released as like filmed in like 80 like millimeter, whatever the fuck, cinemascope, old school actual film cameras and high definition. And this will be like beautiful scenes of outdoors and nature and, and the most expensive cameras. And you guys are going to love it. But then all of it's in a fucking shack. Yeah. And, and it's like, what's point of doing this in like super ultra mega wide scope if it's just going to be nothing but fucking snow and not one of them is a decent fucking person yeah you know yeah. And, and like I don't know I, I kind of need somebody to root for yeah but then when we finally came around to the blowjob scene I was like that was it <laughs> Yeah, it's creepy. I I, I was exp I, I I had that built up much bigger in my head. Maxwell, come here. Yeah, no, it's pretty horrible. It, it, it's yeah. It I I I like the movie better as a miniseries that I can step away from. Yeah. As a Netflix miniseries that. Like, here's 25 or 37 minutes, and now I can take a goddamn breath. Like, it is difficult to sit through all, like, three and a half hours of or whatever the fuck in one goddamn sitting. Like, that's difficult. Ew, I didn't do this. Yeah. And I was happy to see that one girl in it. 
the one girl that I've always mixed up with the other girls in it. But that one, that one brat packer. Yes, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. I always she get was their good. names fucked up. Jennifer Jason Lee and uh, yeah. Ali Sheedy and yeah. I will say though, the best use of the White Stripes song "Apple Blossom." <laughs> I really. Like, I love that song already, and their use of it in a Civil War film is just like, oh, that's great. That is great. <laughs> it's it's right up there for me with, like, hearing that, hearing that um, David Bowie song in Inglorious Bastards, that montage of, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, cat's eyes. Out of fire with gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. It says dragon. This is a dragon. you got to connect the dots, though. Yeah, so that's all I've got. I'm excited to get to Shap. Eleanor, this is not your podcast. (laughs) This is not your podcast. Trying to get, trying to get to through Bunny versus Bunny. You can do your own during the break, okay? Uh, So I like the dot de dot. I I know you like the dot de dot. That's why I got it for you. Well, one thing I want to ask you before yes. we get over to Shaft. Okay, yes. Much in line with the questions that you were asking me, but shorter. Okay. What do you think our show looks like? Like, look at the screen. Look at the screen. There's you, there's me. And we got this black space here, and we're probably going to get a little more when we get into NADP. What are your ideas for filling this space? Random, strange things. Like... Like, in my mind, I imagine the space being filled with... Like... when I edit when I edit my story time videos, I've been trying to put in more tiny little clips of like one to three seconds, like what I can legally get away with of whatever. Like when I, when I talk, I always talk with pop culture references. So like when I reference, you know, this TV show, let me put a clip of that TV show in and this and that sort of thing. So when I see like our Zoom setup, what I imagine is like we're talking about Jennifer Jason Lee, and then in the back of us, horribly cropped because of our boxes, is a picture of Jennifer Jason Lee, and that stays up until whatever next we talk about. Well, we can rearrange a bit, you know. Yeah. Um, Jason Robards, and now that motherfucker's up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we I'm thinking we're gonna want some kind of title bar at the top. Okay. And then we could move our pictures up to there, you know, however big that might be. Mm-hmm. Then we're gonna want something for like what segment we're in. Yes. And then the like last what? box we can we can do like miscellaneous things in, yeah. Yeah. It's a dragon. It's a dragon. I already told you it's a dragon. It's a dragon. It's a dragon. 
It's a dragon. <laughs> there you go. It's a dragon. Oh, you want to show Bunny? Of course you want to show Bunny. Okay. It's a dragon. It's a dragon. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that. That is it then. I was just kind of wanting to get your thoughts on that. So I see it as I see it as like a I in my mind. Even though we're like a weird pop culture movie religion, whatever the fuck podcast. Uh, when I see our Zoom set up, I just immediately think of of like a sports call-in show. <laughs> like something that would be on ESPN on noon on a Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, let me read it. It says giraffe's tongue. It says a giraffe's tongue is almost two feet long, is what it says. Now, let me do the podcast, okay? Okay. Okay. Hey, Bunny. Yes. A, a giraffe's tongue is almost two feet long. I don't think that should be in a children's book. Yeah, that that's uh speaking of not being it's being indoctrination not. to your liberal ways. That's what it is. Speaking of not being in a children's book, I've been debating um sending the kids to their room during shap. But uh that might happen. Kids Eleanor and Maxwell, why don't you guys go into Maxwell's room during SHAP, okay? Because, it, you know, it deals with some topics, and why don't you go in there? You can still color on Maxwell's train table. Maxwell could be on his tablet. Why don't you guys go in there? You are not on your tablet, and I can hear talking Tom talking on your tablet. Turn that off or bring it with you, but you guys go into Maxwell's room. Because I, it, it's about to get dirty. Is why. Oh, oh! By the way, how 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 long do you think this Grizzilla Maxwell chick has left? This one. I'm not sure if that's exactly oh, her name. Jishlane Maxwell, whatever the fuck. You've got like, to oh. admit, she's that is a great Disney character villain name. Yeah, it is. And they're like, oh, she's on she's on Suicide Watch, and I'm like, yeah, Suicide. Watch with finger quotes. Yeah. So I, I posted a picture on Twitter of like a white hand holding a gun, and I I put as the caption of the gun "Suicide Watch," and I put the white arm holding the gun as uh, "Rich White People." <laughs> and I'm like, I think this is what the media means when they say she's on Suicide Watch. Yeah. Yeah, you got to put her on suicide stop, dudes. That's what you got to do. Because you stand there watching ain't helping anything. I say two weeks. I say two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a generous idea. Yeah. Yeah. I I think she's got just a, a great Disney villain name, like I said. I mean, like. With a name like that, are you surprised she's into child child sex trafficking? Of course yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. That's a name of a Disney's hunchback of Notre Dame character. Yeah. 
And that movie, that movie is underrated. Disney should make more films where old, powerful men sing about how much they want to fuck another character. Okay. That should happen more in Disney animated movies for children. And it happens in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. There's one whole song where a priest sings about how much he wants to fuck a gypsy. (laughs) Couldn't make that now. Could not make that now. No. No. Yeah. So that's all I got. And that's really all I got for this week. I'm looking forward to Shap. Let's get the hell on over there. Cool. Okay. Wrap that all up. And cut. Yes. If you're like me, then you're no doubt a big fan of this podcast, the Pope on Film. I mean, who is it nowadays in this climate? But only real fans, true hardcore fans of this podcast would know two facts, two undeniable truths, and in no way made up on the spot truths about us, America's hottest podcasting couple, Bunny and Steve. First and foremost, the first totally real fact about you, Bunny, is that in your spare time, you are a celebrated archaeologist. I didn't know part-time archaeologists were a thing. You're always going out there learning and uncovering brand new facts about nations and races and civilizations. So tell us, Bunny, what was your what was the last thing that you learned from your latest expo- expedition? Ostriches are actually our earliest ancestors, uh, not apes as we had previously thought, uh, but it's definitely ostriches. You could tell by how they can walk bipedally. Um, you can you can tell by how many Republican Christians are burying their heads in the sand. Exactly, I was getting to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know nice. so. Basically, we evolved past the wings. We've we've kept the pot bellies in most cases. Yes. Uh, so that is the the most interesting thing I have found recently that uh, we were wrong about the apes. We come from ostriches. Of course. Uh, good find. Good find, by the way. And the second thing that you would know about me is that I'm a lover of history. I love it. But I'm also a storyteller. So what I like to do here is find a story from the history books and uh, reword it via my own unique storytelling style. And that's what this is. Another educationally uneducational installment of Steve's Historic Approximations. Dun, dun. Or shap, as I like to call it, repeatedly, annoyingly, whether anyone wants me to or not. Personally, I like the name shap. It's quick and effective, annoying, sure, but still quick and to the point, like Quicksilver in the X-Men. Yes. This is the Quicksilver of podcast segments. And so this week on the old shapity shap shap, we were going to discuss... The tra- the surprisingly tragic life of porn actress Mia Khalifa, which is a sad 
an amazing story that more people should know about. But at the last second, I decided to go the exact opposite route and discuss what? The Bible! Okay. And what a great jump that is from porn actress to Bible. That's so our podcast, isn't it? Yes. That's so us. But don't worry, the story will get dirty. To be clear. Okay. So this week we will be discussing the non-canonical gospel and more specifically the proto-evangelium of James. That's a lot of information and a lot of terms to throw at you all at once. So let's break it down. Far-right evangelicals would have you believe that Jesus wrote the entire gospel. What are you doing, Eleanor? The lid. The lid. You took it with you. The lid is not here. The lid is definitely not here. And also go because I'm talking about the Bible and I don't want you to be here for that. So far right evangelicals would have you believe that Jesus wrote the entire gospel on himself on his old typewriter in his shack, his writing shack in Maine, like Stephen King. That yes. Jesus was, you know, smoking a pack of cigarettes and just, oh, gotta, gotta crank this out. Type, 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 type. It was often a fun prank to call Jesus and ask him if he had Cyril Walter Raleigh in a can. Nice. Yeah. But, but that's simply not the case. The Bible as we know it now was the result of years and decades and centuries of editing and fighting and including this and excluding that and centuries of debate and discussion and controversy and intense fighting over what gets to be considered a part of the Bible. There were parts in there that weren't in there before. There were parts that were written that they got rid of, that they tried to get rid of and burned. And and so there's all of these early Christian documents now that that didn't make the cut. So now we have parts of the Bible that are in the Bible, and that's the canonical gospel. And then there's all of these like leftovers, and those are the non-canonical gospels. And there's a lot of non-canonical gospels that they got rid of and stuff like that. There's the gospel of Mary Magdalene. Sex workers are people too. Good on you, mate. Yes. There's the gospel of Judas. Hell yeah. And my personal and my personal favorite, the Proto-Evangelium of James, also known as the Gospel of James, which is crazy. So let's get into that. Apparently, James was a super popular name back in 1 AD. Yeah. So back in the day, back in the first century. So there's a possibility that there were more than one James in the Bible that like, Hey, I'm James and I am a member of Jesus's posse. I'm an apostle to him. And I pop up here and there occasionally. And then some scholars say that, that there's another James and that is Jesus's brother. Yes. And the proto evangelium of James or the gospel of James is believed to have been written by Jesus's brother, James. And I like to think that James is an older brother from Brooklyn and uh, sitcom style. Yeah. And they're like, man, Jesus just destroyed the temple. 
we better tell his brother about this. And then they go to James and James is like, now what did my wacky brother Jesus do this time, huh? Destroy the temple? Oh, man, that's so like my brother of mine. Don't worry, I'll set him straight. Hey, jeez, come over here. (laughs) I like to think James is like. But in all reality, the Gospel of James was written in and around the mid-2nd century in order to essentially uh, give more lines to Mary, yeah, the mother of God. And and people in like the 1st century and the 2nd century were like, Mary, we pray to Mary. Mary is amazing. And people were like, but why? And they're like, Oh, well, we need to give her a bigger part. Uh, okay. <laughs> bigger, bigger role, bigger billing. And also to further <laughs> that idea that Mary was and is this perfect virgin and that this was a miraculous virgin birth. Basically, the Gospel of James was written to defend criticisms of Christianity. So, like, it's the second century and people were like, hey, I finally got around to reading this uh, Bibli thing you guys wrote, and um, there's some plot holes yeah. that I think you guys should address. First of all, what, this woman Mary is just chosen out of the blue and, and gets pregnant by a, a, we're supposed to believe? They're like, I, I have problems with this whole thing. So they're like, well, fuck you. I'm going to write the gospel of you're a dick. I'm well, going to write... Now the gospel of you're wrong and I'm right and fuck you. I'm just thinking about how such a thing, how such a process would go on to actually find and choose Mary. Um, yeah. The only flaw in the plan I have in my head is that there was no radio back then because I'm clearly seeing this as a radio contest. You know? You be the ninth caller, you get a chance to to fuck a divinity. What actually happened was was that the alien the 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 alien, the angel showed up and said, "I will be choosing a woman." And that woman, I will impregnate with the spirit of God, and that woman will give birth to the son of God. Now this is how we're doing it. All of you, this happened in Texas. All of you will place your hands on me. And the last one to stay standing wins not only my penis, but also a new truck. (laughs) Okay. They called it Hands on a Heart Angel. Yes. Very successful. Very successful. They still do that in small towns in Texas as tribute to Jesus. (laughs) So the whole story of the Gospel of James is. And this is what you were talking about. You see Mary's birth. Yeah. And you see Mary grow up. So this is a basically an origin story to Mary. And you find out that like from the moment she was born, she was chosen to eventually be the person who goes and gives birth to Jesus. And so they, the, the God had this plan forever. And like she, God shone a light on Mary. So basically this is a prequel to the Bible. And I'm personally excited to, to read the gospel of James and get to the point where Mary loses her shit and kills all the Jedi younglings. Yes. That's the part that I'm really excited about in the Bible prequels. 
So you get to see Mary when she's born and then she grows up. And then the most amazing part of the Gospel of James, the Bible's first gyno exam. Okay. So here's how it goes. This is the reason why I chose this story. We've talked about the uh, the non-canonical Gospels before, but I specifically chose this because of this part of the Gospel of James. So the story goes, Mary has given birth. Yes. And all of the people, I guess, of Jerusalem or whatever, are just like, Mary definitely got fucked, right? <laughs> like, look at her. She's so beautiful and radiant, and we're supposed to believe that she was a virgin, and then she gave birth, and what? Now she's still a virgin? Like, she's definitely been railed before. Just look at her. <laughs> she's been fucked, just period. And no one believed that she had kept her uh, virtue or whatever the fuck, and no one believes her. They're like, nah. Mary's definitely been boned. And so Mary had a midwife. And the midwife was Salome, a woman from the Bible who comes and cries at Jesus' feet while he's being crucified and all of that. So Salome is like hearing everybody talk and she's like, you know what? I also don't believe it. Like even I was her like uh, midwife and I don't believe that that Mary is virtuous. So she's like, don't worry, guys. I'll handle this literally. <laughs> uh, because basically Salome says, you know what? I'll get to the bottom of this. I will finger check Mary's heavenly panty hamster. You don't like that one? I've got a few more, Bunny. Okay. I will finger her Sermon on the Mount. okay i'll wiggle my digits in her garden of gethsemane (laughs) this one's my favorite i'll pray pray in her vajayjay nice nice um i've got a few that could have been a hymn yeah i've got a few more i'll check her vagin mary uh-huh I'll eat loaves and fishes at the Y. <laughs> Salome was literally like, don't worry, guys. I'll I will literally finger her down there and check to see if she's still a virgin. And that will solve all of our we're, I'm going to get to the bottom of this literally just, you know? Yeah, I like is So so. Salome did a purity check, which I believe makes Salome the patron saint of rapper T.I. Okay. Remember that story where T.I. was sending his daughter to to the gynecologist to check to make sure she's a virgin? That happened at the end of 2019, which because of the coronavirus was seven years ago. Yes, it was. It was. Yeah, so in the in the Gospel of James... We should still Salome, be making fun of him. Yeah, so in the Gospel of James, Salome says, and I quote, this is a quote from the actual Gospel of James, as the Lord my God liveth, unless I thrust my finger and search the parts, I will not believe that a virgin has brought forth. 
Okay. And I like and I like to think that Salome followed that up with, "Do not worry, citizens, for thou shalt put two in the pink." <laughs> and just to be safe, one in the stink. Yes. I liked and that's where that phrase comes from. That is where it comes from. It's it's biblical kind of. Yeah. So Mary has her gynecologist appointment, and I know that this is set in like 1 AD, and yet Mary goes to her gyno appointment. She sits in the waiting room, and you know what's on the table beside her? Us Weekly and Highlights Magazine. I love Highlights. Isn't that weird? How amazing is that? Like she picks up Us Weekly, and she's flipping through it. Oh, look, Jerusalem's Hottest Shepherds. Yeah. Oh, look, a, a nice uh, f- uh, listicle of the hottest sandals that people are wearing. Yeah. Summer. You got to keep up on that. If you're wearing last season's sandals, you look like a Samaritan. Yeah. So then she puts that down and she picks up the Highlights magazine and she goes, oh, look, Judas and Galliant. They always loved yeah. reading Judas and Galliant. So as the story goes, again, in the Gospel of James, Salome reaches into Mary. Salome fingers Mary's vagina. I wonder why they didn't pick this to be in the Bible. I guess that will forever be a mystery. So anyway, Salome finger bangs the Virgin Mary. Yeah. (laughs) The Bible's first finger banging. So Salome reaches in, and yes, she confirms that Mary is still a virgin. But, and this is but, God gets pissed. God, she's all like, um, bitch, (laughs) you think that you can just... Uh, reach into my Mary's biblical clam sandwich and feel around in there? Oh, hell no. I'm a smite your ass. Okay. And that punishment for Salome finger dancing in Mary's furry curtains, God straight up burns Salome's hand as punishment for Salome finger banging Mary. And if you are having a hard time visualizing what that would look like, there's a film that you can watch. It's called Manos the Hands of Fate. Okay. Just go to the end. And that's exactly what happens in the Bible. Few people realize the biblical connections to Manos the Hands of Fate. Okay, but was God jealous? And they should. Possibly. Like, that's my Mary. Nobody touch her. I'm going to go into jealous rage. How dare you finger bang my That's woman. a good point. God was probably like, you're fingering my woman? Yeah. I'm fucking her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably a little bit of to cover it up. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't do that to Salome because uh, she fucked my woman. No, I did that uh, because she doesn't have blind faith in me. Yeah. That's totally the reason, yeah. and absolutely yeah. not because that's my Mary, and nobody else is Mary, and nobody else can have her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Again, I wonder why they didn't pick this for the Bible. I mean, you know, I you know, story 
usually has at least one love story of some sort of erotica and yeah. hints of erotica anyway. You know, even if it's that. Yeah. Oh, Not David, like- the stories of David are pretty heavy in the Bible. I'm with surprised innuendo, that like, innuendo about which way his sword swung. Well, the fucking uh, the fucking Song of Solomon. Your penis is like that of a donkey's, and it's like okay, well. Okay, wait. Did you just imply that you have fucked a donkey? Yeah. Uh, no. Solomon did. Solomon fucked a donkey. Maybe or Solomon's woman, the bride of Solomon. The bride of Solomon definitely yeah. fucked the donkey. I like that a lot better than son of Solomon. That oh, one has the guy with a wooden arm, but fucking yeah. no. While he was out herding the sheep, she was fucking the donkey. Yeah. So here's my favorite part. Okay, my yeah. wife me with this part. Okay, oh. so yeah, God burned Salome's hand for fingering the Virgin Mary. I guess you could say that Salome got caught red-handed. Yes. Okay, well, if you don't like that one, I've got another one. Gee, I've heard the term fire crotch before. (laughs) The gospel also says that uh, Joseph was a widow with kids, and that's how Jesus uh, has a brother named James. It's like from from another marriage. And also, I like the fact that in the gospel of James, they they did away with the whole like a uh, manger thing. Jesus was born in a cave, and I really okay. think this is great. And I think that what we should do every Christmas to get in the Christmas spirit, just to cover our tracks, hang up a bunch of bats. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's a possibility that Jesus might be born in a cave, so it's like fuck it. I'm gonna put up a bunch of bats, and we can watch a Christmas movie Midsummer. Because what lives in caves? Bears. Or, or Quest for Fire. Or Quest for Fire. And, and uh, also, another fun new Christmas tradition, just rub guano everywhere. Yeah. Around your house. Hey! Christmas Nutella! Spirit. Or Nutella, there you go. If you don't have guano, I'm pretty sure you could probably get it on Amazon. I mean, I could get bull semen in three days with Amazon. Okay, but, okay, you're just building up challenges for yourself. Yeah. Because Nutella um, can go on everything. Yeah. But <laughs> uh if you don't have guano, you know what you can do? You can listen to Beck. Yes. Because he has an album called Guano. Uh-huh. So every Christmas put bats around your house and listen to Beck. Why? Because of the non-canonical gospels and the proto-evangelium of James. And I gotta say, this is a biblical finger-banging. I know I say this a lot, but I am really surprised that more people don't know about this. Yes, indeed. surprised that more people don't know about the biblical finger-banging. Anywho, that's it for Steve's Historic Approximations this week. Next week, we will definitely get to the sad story of a porn actress, unless I think of something better. But join it, tune in next week to see what we do with another exciting installment of Steve's Historic Approximations! Funny! We still have a movie to get to. We need to talk about 
Fred Willard and the Tom Hanks film Moving Violations. We need to talk about Siskel and Ebert. We need to talk about LGBTQ people. We need to talk about the Fire Sign Theater and a really great theory that I have about um, George Carlin. But before we get to any of that, maybe we should take a break. Should we take a break? We should take a break. All right. We, we will be right back with more of the Pope on Film after this. And break. This puppet is twisted. What if what if she just picked up one without looking at the name and the name was like <laughs> Foggy London? During backstage party, Walt Disney shared with you a few selected scenes from his first big musical motion picture, Babes in Toyland. Every sparkling moment, an exciting new entertainment treat. Starring Ray Bolger, Tommy Sands, and Annette, and Edwin. Don't miss Babes in Toyland, coming at Christmas time to a theater near you. Produced in association with the NBC Television Network. And we're back with more of the Pope on Film. Act three, buddy! Act three! Act three! Yes, Bunny, my friend, my brother, my some third thing. It is time once again for all of us here at the Pope on Film Podcast to casually mosey on down to the third and final act. And it is said third act, wherein we finally in eventually get around to discussing our artisanally handcrafted movie of the week. And this week, we continue our summer-long celebration of actor Fred Willard with a look at a comedy set in the distant future, the year 1998. Yes. And I remember how that totally happened. In the 1979 happened. Fire Sign Theater... Yeah. In the 1979 Fire Sign Theater comedy, Americathon. Yes. Now, okay. Now, I have a lot to say about this movie, but before we get there, we need to start this the way we always start with a look inside the Fred Willometer to see just how much Fred Willard is in this film. And in order to discuss this, I feel we need to discuss the director again because the director was Neil Israel, the exact same person who would, in a few years later, go on to direct the movie Moving Violations, which okay. we did 
months ago in the year 1985. So Neil Israel and Fred Willard are super tight. I'm surprised that Fred Willard wasn't in uh, Neil Israel's film Bachelor Party. Yes. Because uh, what's her name? Donna Joe or whatever her name is was in Bachelor Party. The best friend from the show Bosom Buddies, who was the hypochondriac in Moving Violations, is also in the movie Bachelor Party, but Fred Willard isn't. That's surprising. Yes. So Fred Willard pops up 13 minutes into the film as presidential assistant and, I guess, head of the cabinet, uh, Vincent Vanderhoff. He shows up in a tracksuit and a gold chain looking all dashing and cool, and he sticks around throughout most of the movie. It's fairly big billing, and I like the fact that he's trying to make the telethon fail because it sets up actual conflict, and it's a good part for him. It's fairly big, and he's a big fan of ventriloquists. Yes, he is. And I think he does a pretty good job, and I like it. Bunny, your thoughts on this movie? That's a question. And here is a supplemental question. How well would you do in a nationwide marijuana smoke-off? Oh, I don't think I would really do all that good. Yeah? In the end, yeah, I think there are people who could could definitely outsmoke me. You'd you'd get better than me. Uh, I'm no Joey. Yeah. Probably. Probably, yeah. I'm no no Kobayashi. Rating this one on the Willard Willardometer. The Willometer. Yeah. I'm I'm finding really kind of difficult because, like, he may not have been in this as much as Moving Violations, but his part was so much more central to the plot of the movie. Yeah. The problem that I have with the Fred Willometer is that I think he has a much bigger part in this than he has in other things that we've done. So he's got a much bigger part. And yes, he's central to the character, but I don't think he's that funny in the film. But that's not his fault. No, I don't think this film is that funny. No. And that that kind of like like this film. Like, as soon as you said Fireside Theater, that just made a bell go off into my head because exactly how I feel about this movie is kind of how I I feel whenever I've heard Fireside Theater. Like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. (laughs) It's not killing me the humor here, but it's okay. Let me me tell you one thing, though. One, one positive I've never rooted more for a car in my entire life (laughs) than I have when I saw Meatloaf versus a car. And it's like, oh, come on, car. Come on. (laughs) New pair of shoes. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. I remember it having been way more dramatic than that. And more yeah. action packed, and it was like, no, this is really lame. Yep. Uh, uh, sure, it's really lame, but it was nice to see Harvey Corman just a year removed from the Star Wars holiday special. Yeah. He, yeah. So he, this was like he could never horrible. get that stink off him. Nope. 
I just wanted Harvey Corman's character to be like, you know what? I'm going to relax with a drink and then pour it right into his head. Yes. No. So what are your thoughts on this film? On the on this film like what would your review be for America Thon? Oh man, that is so that is so hard to say because there's so much that is accidentally good about this movie. Yeah. You know? Like there is a huge nostalgia attached with this movie because there are so many fucking faces in it. Good Christ that was body by Jake. Tommy Lasorda. Fuck? I haven't seen him in forever. Like fucking Tommy Lasorda doing the narration of uh, Jay Leno beating his uh, mom. Jay Leno beating up his mom. Like like just for that, that almost nostalgia factor alone. Yeah, you know, I, I've got to give it like a whole star for that. I because you're and it because wasn't, you're, it wasn't not funny. It just yeah. wasn't. It could have been better. There's room for yeah. improvement. Yeah, because you're you're mentioning this, I'm gonna skip to the end of my notes. Okay. Uh, this is what I was gonna close with, and maybe I still will. But it, the film has a bunch of famous people in the day, famous people in the day, in this wacky comedy about a current situation. So at the time this movie was made, the energy crisis is happening. So let's get a bunch of famous people together and make an energy crisis comedy. And it just brought a cringe. And like, like I got a chill down my spine. And I just thought, God damn it. There's going to be a coronavirus comedy. Oh, totally. Oh, God, and it's totally. Have the fucking um, flex tape guy in it. Yeah. And like, oh, it's 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 going to be like, uh, oh, here comes the dancing Karens, and it's just, oh, God, <laughs> like, that's going to be horrible. And then. Hey, like, I'm going to be 70 years old, like, saying to my grandchildren, now, come on, when this movie came out, you got to understand, uh, we were going through a crisis. Yeah. You know? So it's like, oh, God, like, when it, the coronavirus movies are going to be so cringe. Yeah. You know? and, and that's what I thought when I saw this movie. That like, oh God, so many people are right now like in front of computers writing such shit about this. Yeah. Oh God, yes. You can totally see it. So every single thing is gonna be set in during the pandemic. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So let's discuss some reviews. These okay. are some reviews from of the time. So uh, here's the New York Times, 1979. This isn't our boy Vincent Can Canby. Okay. The most savage movie reviewer of all time. He did write a review of this, but I don't have it on here. This is the New York Times, 1979. Quote, the premise is strong enough to sustain a 15-minute sketch. 
but the movie has the ill fortune to drag for an hour and a half. I I, I got to give it to them. I got to give it yeah. to them. I, I have no argument with that. So here's a... Uh, Except, and the only thing that saves it, the only thing that saves this movie is nothing that would have saved it then. Like yeah. people don't, people were not going, Oh, look, it's Jay Leno. Yeah. You know, they yeah. weren't fucking doing that. He was just some schlub. They got off the street because yeah. he was always hanging around. So they threw him in the movie. Yeah. It's like the only reason I would see someone wanting to see this movie now is like, Oh, Elvis Costello was in a movie Elvis before Costello. he got his teeth fixed. Yeah. That would be interesting to see. But yeah, no, it's pretty bad. Yeah, uh, I mean, Roger- I mean, I mean, that just would not have made any difference to people who were watching it then. Yeah, you know, yeah, they would yeah. not freak out because they saw goddamn bodies by Jake. What I was hoping to see. What the fuck what is I was this guy in anything? Yeah. What I was hoping to see in the movie is, hey, Roger Corman, he's this pill-popping actor, and we've gotten him to host the Americathon. He's going to be hosting it for 30 days. You mean to tell me you didn't write him slowly going insane for staying awake for an entire month? Yeah. I didn't see that at all. That's an entire fucking well of comedy. Yes. You know? You show him with his tie around his forehead and his jacket off, just going like, I'm seeing demons. <laughs> triplets. You know, because that was always when I grew up, uh, Jerry Lewis, who we have said on the podcast before, has definitely created the coronavirus. Yes. I why I every what Memorial Day weekend he would stay up for like three whole days hosting the Jerry Lewis telethon, and that was always like the coolest thing to see him slowly lose his shit. Yes, and he'd show up the first day and it's like, Hey, let me do a song, hey, and then the second day he's there, send in the clowns, and then the third day he's just like, Let's do the totals. You know, <laughs> he's slowly losing his grip on reality, and I'm, I'm, I'm so disappointed that Americathon didn't do that. It would have been great to have seen uh, Harvey Corman lose his shit. Yes, you know, so disappointed with that. That would have been great. Uh, here's Roger Ebert. Was he the fat one? He was the fat one. Yes, he was the fat one. Okay, Roger Ebert, nineteen seventy nine. Quote. A puerile exploitation of one very thin joke during 98 very long minutes. How do we care about an idea that might stretch to a four-minute sketch, but it hardly can be stretched to a feature-length film? Um, fair? I, mm, I think that's a little harsh. Oh I think no! That's a, that's a that's a little harsh for for Roger Ebert. We have not gotten to harsh yet, my friend. Washington Post, nineteen seventy nine, and I quote: "A gross comedy that just whacks crudely away." Okay, which I think is not fair. There's nothing crude about this. It's just dumb, but it's not crude. The only crude no. thing is. 
how offensive this movie is to Vietnamese people. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, there's nothing crude about this. Like, where the fuck do you get off writing that? Yeah. Yeah. So, Bunny. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't see crude at all. Yeah. So, Bunny, when I was growing up, um, we had the most absolute basic cable iman- imaginable at the time. But we would go to Douglas, Arizona on the border between Mexico and America. And, and we would we would go to my grandparents' house and it was so boring and, and there was nothing to do. The only positive was, for whatever reason, my grandparents had HBO. Okay. 1980s HBO, in my mind, was always playing either The Shining or America-thon. Those were the two films. It's a good ni- possibility, yeah. Yeah, the 1980s HBO was always playing, and so I always caught glimpses of Americathon, but I don't think that like seven-year-old me actually bothered to pay attention, but I knew bits and pieces from going to my grandparents' house and having nothing to do because it's the smallest town in the world. So I remember watching bits and pieces of this. I remember... Uh, boxing matches, and I remember this and that. And the thing that I remembered clearly is we sold San Diego. <laughs> that was the one thing that, like, oh, god damn, I remember everything about this. Tijuana Heights. Yeah. I loved that. And the, all the white people wear, waving American flags are pissed, but but the, the leader is like, we're going to turn... Uh, San Francisco into the place filled with bargains yes. that the entire world will come to. And it's like, damn, that's good. Yeah. That I, I kind of, one feeling I had while watching this movie, seeing the guy who was like, I don't know, maybe he was the vice president. He was definitely the guy, chief suck up. The guy who helped him remove the Vietnamese girl's shoes, he was calling him like right before they're going to do it because he can't remove the shoes. Yeah. 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 That guy, the guy who ended up being president. I was just like, my God, I've missed you. What happened to you? I don't even know your name, but I remember you fondly. <laughs> I was surprised to see, like, like I'm seeing John Ritter in the movie. And the first thing that's going through my mind is uh, uh, it took a while for me to realize, like, is he supposed to be a new age, wishy-washy douchebag? Yes. He was was the liberal president that brought us to disaster. Yeah, and it it, it it took a while to to get to wrap my head around that because it said, uh, "Oh, he was the governor of California," and I'm like, "Okay, so Reagan, yeah, is what I thought of because that happened right after this movie was made." So it took a while for me to realize that, like, okay, I can picture what a new agey liberal wishy washy would be in the '80s. Yeah. But this is 1979, so this is kind of like a 70s version of it. So it took a while for me to realize that, like, uh, oh, wait, he's a new agey douchebag. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and then I kept seeing John Ritter and his and and uh, the first lady. Yeah. And I'm like, 
she looks familiar. I'm going to look her up. And sure enough, that's John Ritter's actual wife of 19 years. And they did a ton of shit together. Nice. And I had no idea. And I'm like, oh, okay, then I had I had no fucking clue. That, that, that is nice, as opposed to the very, very typical story. I got famous. I'm divorcing my wife. Yeah. 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 So, so Bunny, um, uh, be a mensch and help me with the plot of this film. So the plot of the film is... Uh, an old Indian chief has lent America a lot of money in the 400, 500 billion, something like that. It was like 400 billion, wasn't it? 40 billion, I think. 40 billion. Yeah. Uh, and and the payment is due. He wants his money back. So the president decides to hold a, a telethon for America to raise the money to pay the chief. That guy was in Little Big Man. It is, it is the ultimate Save the Rec Center movie. Yeah. 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 Um, so this is an alternate universe where the 1970s energy crisis kept on going. And eventually the people got sick of the energy crisis and lynched uh, Jimmy Carter. I'm sorry. It was an accident. Okay. You're fine. You're okay. You'll be okay. He didn't mean it. Okay. It was an accident. So two things. Number one, I gotta say, one thing this movie taught me is that people are happier without oil. Okay. Yeah, I would I would agree I, with that. I mean, sure, you gotta live in your car and that sucks, but people are outside, they're fucking exercising, they're gardening, they're jogging, they're bicycling, and everyone's talking with their neighbors. People aren't cooped up in their homes when their homes are cars. Yeah. And you can see everybody outside of their cars and they're, hey, hey, everybody, hey, hey, let's talk. Let's be friends and talk and just hang out. And phones aren't a thing because there's no energy. And just this, it, like, I'm sure that in 1979, this was a bleak future. But seeing a freeway filled with people jogging and roller skating and bicycling, I just thought, like, God damn, this is great. <laughs> how happy everybody is without oil and energy everyone's just outdoors and exercising and being healthy that's fucking great yeah rather have that than now you know like god damn this was a good look this was a good apocalyptic look at america yeah. i know that it's supposed to be like oh look at how horrible america's become but it's like no god damn it they, that looks great Everybody being friends with everybody else and all the other cars, like, yeah. damn, that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Secondly, this movie got a number of things right about the future. Okay. First and foremost, 
I know that in 1979, this might have been like a crude joke or shocking or something like that. But you mean to tell me that in the future, LGBTQ people and trans people are so accepted that in the future, America's number one sitcom is called Both Mother and Father? Yeah. That's fucking wonderful. Yeah. God damn it. Oh, watch the shit out of that. <laughs> Hasn't that already been made? Fuck. I don't think so. I keep thinking of that movie where that one guy is uh, is trans later in life. And then everyone like was like, oh, this is such a great show that Showtime or 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 whatever fucking channel is doing this is such a great wonderful show and then it turns out that he was like accused of all of this horrible shit and so they wrote him off of his own show and i forget the name of the guy he was in muppets from space as the bad guy okay i'm gonna have okay. to fucking look this killing me but uh oh, hold on uh it's weird that like he is a real famous comedic actor, but I know him from Muppets from Space. Like, how fucking weird am I? Jeffrey Tambor. Jeffrey Tambor. Okay. He was in this series oh, show. A... Yeah. Yeah, but but it, like I know Arrested Development and all that, and the, the Larry Sanders show Transparent. That's Transparent. It. Yes, Amazon had that. Yeah, basically, transparent is the sitcom both mother and father. <laughs> you know, so so they got that right. Uh, China becomes a greedy capitalist world superpower. Yeah. Uh, Russia collapses. Check. And I bet in 1979, it was a funny idea that Nike becomes this massive world-dominating superpower corporation. Yes. And here's the kicker. Oh, still kicking after so many years. Hey, 1997, here's a hit from the Beach Boys. Motherfucker, they were still touring in 1997. I looked it up. According to Wikipedia, they did a tour. <laughs> Chicago in 97. So that's not like the shocking joke that it was in 1979. They were still fucking you know? Speaking of the Beach Boys, it's a a joke from Walk Hard just hit me a few days ago. Yeah. Brian Wilson was like racked with depression and drugs And so he stayed in his bed for God knows how long, like totally fucked up trying to think of of uh, songs for his big, massive concept album. Right. Yeah. Uh, So in Walk Hard, they did that same thing, but on a trampoline. Yes. And I didn't get that joke until I was really high. This week, and I'm like, I'm gonna go outside. Oh, it's so nice outside. Look at nature. I'm gonna jump on the trampoline. And so I'm really high, and I climb up on the trampoline, and I'm jumping on the trampoline. And I've been noticing lately that just things are different when you're high. Okay. And like, 
songs feel different. And oh my God, I care about Pink Floyd so much more now. <laughs> and there were there was some day a couple of, of like months ago where I got so high and I just crawled into bed and Natasha was listening to Spotify and working on her uh, on some like a report for college and i'm like i'm so fucking high and she started playing music and it was just like oh my god (laughs) this is the greatest song of all time this is why people like the grateful dead yes i get it now so i've been listening to the grateful dead and so i'm jumping on the trampoline and i'm super high and i'm like oh wow this is amazing this is totally different and then i'm like god damn it how did i not get that joke i saw walk hard like 50 times how did i not get that dewey cox's trampoline was uh brian wilson's bed i'm so disappointed with myself that that joke took so long it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's on Netflix, so I've been meaning to check it out again. Mm. Also, we're in a pandemic. Yes. And people are, everyone has lost their jobs, but money is still owed for rent. And so a lot of nations, a lot of uh, parts of America have stopped evictions temporarily. Yes. And judges who preside over this have stopped evictions. But there's a good chance that rent will be due very soon in the immediate future. And millions of people will suddenly be out of their homes. And so the idea that people are living in their cars might very well become a trend. Yeah. That might still be a thing, you know? We're not out of the woods on that one yet, no. Yeah. So a marathon costs $2.2 million to make. And so when it only made $6 million at the box office, it was technically a hit. But, you know, a technical hit that also no one bothered to see. So it was you know? the unsubscribed of its day. Yeah. The movie is based on a play written by the Fire Sign Theater a comedy troupe formed in Yale comprised of white intellectuals that did a lot of bits on NPR. I know of them, but I don't really care. Yes. I think I've heard them throughout my years, but it's always been that thing of like, I, I, I used to do a lot of community theater in like Tempe and Mesa and Scottsdale, Arizona, like in my teens and 20s. And one time some uh, white college boy picked me up from uh, downtown Phoenix to take me to the theater. And he was like a, listening to some skit. And I go, what are you listening to? What is this? And he's like, oh, it's a prairie home companion it's hilarious have you heard it and i it it took a lot to say i haven't heard it because this is white shit yeah and i am a 19 year old mexican boy i have not heard this before yes and there's always been things in like certain categories that i've i've like no i've never sat down and listened to the fire sign theater I yes. know of them, 
but I, I couldn't tell you anything they've done other than America thought. I, I have probably heard sketches or bits of sketches where I would be watching something, some sort of a documentary, and all of a sudden, Fireside Theater gets thrown in there. And now we're yeah. doing a little a little five, ten-minute bit on Fireside Theater, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I yeah. don't think I've even watched a whole documentary about them. So just little skits that I've come through along the way. Now, let's face facts, okay? Culturally... They're about as significant as who the fuck were they? Bob and Ray, the famous comedy team that nobody ever heard of from the from like yeah. from like the sixties. Chris yeah. Elliott from the Letterman Show was one of their kids. Chris Elliott, so culturally irrelevant that you could barely remember their kid. <laughs> I'm and we're gonna... struggling to say exactly who they are. Fire Sign Theater is basically in that same fucking category. I'm just going to come out and say it. Cabin Boy is not so bad it's good. It's so bad it's shit. Okay. Cabin Boy is a horrible fucking movie and I cannot stand. I saw it the day it came out. In an AMC theater in Glendale, Arizona. And I've seen it maybe one or two times after that. But it's just, there are people there. Oh, Cabin Boy, Chris Elliott. Have you seen Cabin Boy? And I'm like, I have. I'm not going to see it again. It's horrible. Yes. It is a horrible, horrible film. And and like, it, like it's like, I feel the same way about Zoolander. Yeah. I like, like Zoolander. No, I'm not going to watch that again. No, I'm good. Saw it once. I'm fine. Although, although I, I watched Zoolander. I tried to watch Zoolander once recently. Okay. But in the beginning of Zoolander, as they're kind of building him up as this male model celebrity type person, you know, and they're going off and they're interviewing various real people to talk about Derek Zoolander, different fashion designers and everything. And right in, my, in the middle of my enjoyment of this movie, there's fucking Trump talking about Derek Zoolander. Like, Jesus I don't Christ. fucking need this. Like, I feel the whole movie has been goddamn hijacked now. And I yeah. try to calm down. And I'm explaining it to Jeannie. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of explaining it to her, like, what happened and how how... Like it was like one of those fright films. Like you're watching a you're watching a video. It's a nice, pleasant uh, field, and wheat is blowing, and all of a sudden, there's zombies in your face. That's what it felt like. And while I'm explaining to to her, they're doing the whole award show, and they cut to fucking Trump sitting in the in the audience. Like you, okay, you got me twice. I am turning off this movie now. That's it. <sighs> The only reason that I would watch Zoolander is because I am fascinated with Billy Zane's career choices. <laughs> Be, because the way that the way that I see it, it's like 
okay, I'm going to be in this movie. It's called Titanic. James Cameron's a serious director and I'm going to be in this film. And then suddenly like this character actor who wanted to do serious things was suddenly perhaps accidentally in the highest grossing movie in the history of movies. Yeah. The great film of all time, winning all awards and suddenly Billy Zane is everywhere. And Billy Zane is like a heartthrob who can star in any movie. And so Billy Zane said, okay, I'm going to do the exact opposite of Titanic. Get me an unfilmed Ed Wood script. Yeah. And so he went from Titanic to I woke up early the day I died. And from that point on, I said, okay, Billy Zane, I never liked you. But God damn it, do I respect you. <laughs> you know, and, and it's like... Uh, it's like, uh, okay, Billy Zane, I'm going to keep an eye on you because you're yeah. obviously, you obviously don't care about fame. Because I, because I, I mean, I saw the Phantom. You obviously yeah. don't care about fame if you wore that outfit. He just always strikes me as like a Hollywood scene kid. You know, I mean, I absolutely know nothing about his background or anything else. But I would guess that he was born in and around the area of Hollywood, you know, and yeah. like and like hung out on the strip and got to know everybody. You, you know? can see so him like he's good room. friends. Yes, you can see with him Joaquin in- Phoenix mm-hmm. and and uh, fucking Johnny Depp, and then going to spend the rest of the evening banging to- uh, Paris Hilton. Yeah. You know, that's just how yeah. he strikes me. You know, scores some meth off off of Edward Furlong, you know, yeah, like that, yeah, yeah, like like so he's like not really famous for anything, yeah, yeah, you know, like he's not yeah. famous for being in in Titanic, he's not famous for being in Tombstone. But he could have been famous for for being in Titanic if he followed that up with other bigger parts. But he specifically said, damn it, everyone's looking at me now. Fuck it. I'm going to do these shitty movies for a while. And like, I feel like the fact that he's not super famous was specifically his like he could have been after Titanic. He could have been a leading man and he could have been like a superstar specifically said the last thing I want to do is be. Superstar, fuck it. Yeah, but even if he wanted to, he couldn't because there seems to be a societal level of zaneness that we can take at any given time. And like he gives us just the right amount of zaneness. Because, like, let's face facts, man, any more Billy Zane is way overstaying you fucking welcome. Yeah. You know? I always, I always felt that Billy Zane was just a a a more sanitized version of the Crispin Glover story, where Crispin <laughs> Crispin Glover was like, I'm happy to be sort of on the fringes and be in these movies, and I'll take this part and 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 oh shit back to the future was a huge hit i don't know what to do fuck it i'm gonna dress as a clown and release a concept album and i'm gonna fuck a dwarf and fuck it (laughs) and so billy zane was like the same thing but it replaced back to the future with titanic yeah 
even though they were both in Back to the Future, which is a strange connection, but uh, replace Back to the Future with Titanic, and he's just, you know, uh, yes, Eleanor. The days when when mommy played games, to say dead games. Yeah, I don't like you guys playing any games where people die. Yeah, but Marshall's That's always been the rule. No dead game. Marshall is playing a dead game with me. I'm, I'm not trying to You're not trying to play a dead game? No. We all because no, Maxwell's trying to cut me with the with the sword. Uh, just because Maxwell cuts you with a pretend sword doesn't mean that you're dying. Maybe it's just, it's, Eleanor, Eleanor, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, okay? When Maxwell cuts you with a sword, you look at him and you say this, it's just a flesh wound. Okay? That's what you say. Say that out loud. Say that with, say that out loud. Say, it's just a flesh wound. Because that means that you've been cut, but you're not going to die because you're super strong. You're the Black Knight. You're fine. I got nothing else for Americathon. Do you, Bunny? There's there's not tons of... I mean, we could certainly bring out little pieces of it here and there, but, but much like the film itself, why? Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, so, so it, it was. Like- uh, I, I, I think the movie. I think this is a case where a movie has aged better than the movie is itself. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Because it's got a, because it's got a pack of nobodies <laughs> that nobody would have given a shit about at the time. That's yeah. really fun to see again. And that's the best part of the movie. Everything else can be put aside for that point. Like, if I was going to give one reason for you to watch this movie, it would be something like, dude, it's got so many faces. You got to see it. Okay. Here is... That's a good reason for you to say to someone... It, Here's why you should see America Thumb. Here's my reason why I think people should watch America Thumb. Never in my life did I ever think that I would say out loud, I kind of miss Eddie Money. <laughs> like, I never, like, I'm not the person that would ever say that. But suddenly I'm like, God damn. I kind of miss Eddie Money. <laughs> and that's an impressive statement for me to have made. You know? A little frightening may happen. Yeah, like like uh you see you see Footloose and you go Kenny Rogers can burn in a fiery pit of hell. <laughs> no, no, Kenny Loggins. Sorry, Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins can burn in hell. I want Kenny Loggins to be uh, burned at the stake like a witch in Salem, Massachusetts. Okay, he can rot in hell for all eternity. But then you see Caddyshack, and you go. Alright then. Uh, yeah. Kenny Loggins is alright. This movie made me think 
Eddie Money is not that bad. Yeah. And that's an impressive statement. Yes, it is. So that's all I've got for this week. What I was going to do was follow up a marathon. Stop moving the super loud thing around and stop stop touching this. Okay, but but don't move it around. Just leave it there. Okay. I was going to follow up a marathon with the next logical choice, which would be the movie First Family. Okay. The movie where Bob Newhart is the president. And the the first daughter is Gilda Radner. And okay. I believe Fred Willard is like the vice president or something like that. And it made sense to do that movie next because, you know, it's Fred Willard in the White House again. But this one's a more serious take on it. But then I said, but then I realized that what I've been doing is I've been trying to change time periods. Yes. A movie from 2004. Now let's go to the 80s. Now here's a movie from 2002. Now let's go to the 70s. And that's what I've been trying to do. And First Family, I believe, came out a year or two after Americathon. So I couldn't do it. So instead, we're doing a very bizarre choice. Okay. Um, I have not seen this film. I have no information about this film. It is an extremely, extremely, extremely low budget indie film that was written, produced, and directed and starring some guy. Okay. And it's from 2006, and it's called I'll Believe You. And as far as I can tell, it's about some uh, radio show guy who, I don't know, finds out that aliens exist or something like that, and Fred Willard's in it somehow, and the thing is that the the genius of Fred Willard is that he's in huge movies, and he's also in shit no one has ever seen. Yeah. You know, and that's the genius of Fred Willard that, hey, I'm starring in this Christopher Guest comedy. After this, I'm going to be in some guy's indie film. <laughs> that he filmed for maybe a million dollars if he's lucky. And yeah. like that's the good thing about Fred Willard. And he's like, he will be a supporting character in a big budget Hollywood movie, but also, hey, you're a small time indie director and you're making this small time indie film. You give me scale, I'll do it. <laughs> so I have no idea what this movie is even about, but we're watching it. It's called I'll Believe You. It's on the shared cough cough. It's from 2006. Okay. So it's fairly new. And we're doing that next week. What it's about, fuck if I know. But we're doing that next week. I am but, I am down. Yeah. I, I am interested. Yeah. That, you want to tell Bunny something. Okay. Tell Bunny something, Eleanor. Bunny. Yes. Always have some beers and dad, dad does not always have some beers. You're gonna call the child services on me. Well dad, <laughs> well, dad has two beers today. And he, Dad and Mom. Dad and Mom have some beer. <laughs> you, okay. are, you are making me sound so horrible right now. But okay, continue. This is so called this being is our, a snitch, right? <laughs> this is Dad our stone cold. Dad takes the lids off. Yeah, this is a stone cold Steve Austin 
uh, bottle opener from uh, last century, and it's a magnet. And Uh so, uh, throw them on there. Okay. Okay. So we got to really put this camera down. Okay. There you go. Yeah, you're really wait, ratting me out. Wait till you learn about neutrinos. Now I know how Robert De Niro's character felt at the end of Goodfellas. <laughs> you're really Henry Hilling me right now. So I just downloaded that movie. So oh, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, I was going to say something, an ad-lib scene. Shit, okay. The only reason to see Zoolander is there's a scene where David Duchovny is finally explaining the plot of why they use male models, and he does this big, massive speech at the end of the movie. And then uh, Ben Stiller has a line, but when it came time to do his line... Uh, David Duchovny had talked for so long that Ben Stiller forgot what his next line was. So David Duchovny talks for like minutes for so long about why they use male models and Ben Stiller just ad-libbing goes, but why use male models? (laughs) And it's a total ad-lib and David Duchovny's answer is just 100% accurate, realistic, like... Are are you serious? I just I just explained that to you. <laughs> I, I just were you listening to a word I said? And that's the only reason to see it because it's so pure. Yes, it's just fucking Ben Stiller forgetting his lines. So next week we're doing the movie. I'll be there. Mia Khalifa. We'll actually be talking more about the movie a marathon in a, in a weird way and maybe some more Klosterman questions because that was fun. But now that I'm looking back at this episode, the highs and the lows, um, finger banging Mary. Yes. That's a great, that's a great band name. We got to give it that one. Finger banging Mary. That's really good. Uh, The big book of racism. The movie unsubscribed. I got to say, I think this has been a pretty good episode. I think this has been a damn good episode. A damn good episode. Good. I feel the same way, but I didn't want to to say that because I didn't want to step on your toes. I feel that that's your decision to make. But yes, I I, I concur with your assessment. Good, sir. So until next week, I am Bunny Williams. And I am Reverend Steve. And on behalf of Maxwell and Natasha and definitely Eleanor and everybody else in the house, I can see Maxwell. Don't wake up Bella for this. <laughs> you be Bella, okay? You be Bella. Put this towel over your head. Be Bella. I just want to say thanks for listening, and we will see you next week, you godless heathens. You poopy toots and... Douche waffles and poopy toots. Know your lines. Douche waffles and poopy toots. And you... And you power stones? Scooby papa. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
Cut and print. Cut and print. print. Cut print. And print. <laughs>